0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to our Bible study. We have, over the last few weeks, and I would say nearly two months, we've been looking into growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we looked at God, and we wanted to answer the question Is what is God like? We looked at man and why God created us. And for the last two weeks, we've been looking at Jesus, His reincarnation, His um, reincarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And tonight, I want to come to a very, very important topic. In fact, you don't get a lot of people who like to talk about this particular topic anymore. You find churches now who sidestep once it comes to this topic because it's not seeker-sensitive, because people don't want to hear about it. And we're going to, in the next few weeks, we're going to unpack the matter of sin, the question of sin. We're going to look at sin. Where did it come from? Uh, What is the origin of sin? And then we're going to start looking through the effects that it's got and how did it come down to the generations to you and me. Now, like I said, people generally don't want to know that they are sinners because if you If you know that you're a sinner, then you need a Savior. And if you reject Jesus Christ, then you start looking for a Savior in all other things in life. And this is why people don't want to hear and don't want to know that they are sinners. The message in the world out is that we are good. Mankind is good. Everybody's got some kind of goodness inside of you. And you've just got to work really hard so that the good outweighs the bad. And one day God is going to sit there and he's going to look at the two accounts. And if your good is better than your bad, then you're okay. Well, I must say tonight that that's not true. That's not the whole truth. And if somebody told you this, they told you a lie. So people don't know, want to know that they are sinners because that's something they generally get ashamed of. What happened to them? And why could it happen to them? And this is why we seek for excuses to explain sin in our lives. And on that note, hold. And it's because people generally, when they think about the sin that they've conducted, they're ashamed of it. And people don't like to be ashamed. Uh, If sometimes you have to bring that sin out in front of other people, then you seek for excuses for the reason that you've done what you've done. And we, we see it all over the news. We see it when something bad happens, that people always throw in excuses. It was my upbringing. Uh, I didn't have a relationship with my father or my mother or my brothers and my sisters. You hear this often come out as excuses for things that people have done. Uh, Sometimes it gets blamed on drugs, and we see a lot of that happening, that people conduct in a sin, they murder somebody which the Bible says is a sin, and then they blame drugs. It's never me. It's never me. It's always some other third-party effect that had an influence over me. And alcohol as well. When somebody kills somebody and and the influence of alcohol, then they start blaming the alcohol. And it's diverting away from me. That's the state we're living in. I've, I've also heard so many people diverting away sin because of a mental state they're in. Blaming psychology for what people are in. And, and this is... The blame game. is always somebody else's fault and it's not my fault. But if you draw everything down, then you will see it comes down to one word and that's the word sin. Sin, sin that is conducted in somebody's life. We find a classic example in John. Uh, John chapter 8 where the Pharisees found this, this lady, this woman, was busy conducting an adultery she was having a sexual relationship outside of marriage they grabbed her they caught her in the act she was guilty as sin if you want to say it that way and they dragged her just the way she was naked half naked and they dragged her into the public and this is what sometimes happened that people want to reflect if, if, if I hide something and, and I see somebody else might do the same thing or a similar thing, then I would put so much focus on that person so that I can be hidden. You know, you can't see it's me. Well, in this particular case, in John chapter 8, they brought the lady and dragged her in and rudely interrupted Jesus. He was sitting in the house and he was teaching people. And they brought her into the midst of Jesus. And they say in John 8:5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And now we find one of the most shocking buts in the Bible, the B-U-T, the word but. I've learned in my life that whenever you see the word but in the Bible, it's a powerful word. It's a wonderful word because it means it's a sharp contrast. Now, when you see the word but, you need to read what's in front of the word but, because that will then give an application to what's after or a sharp contrast. And they do the same. They come to Jesus. They caught this lady in the act. And they come and they say, Moses in the law commanded us that such a one should be stoned. But what do you say? And now it's silence falls upon everybody because they thought, now we've got you. We caught this lady in sin. Sin is the problem here. And this particular sin, the penalty, the consequences for that is to be stoned, to be killed. Now, they put Jesus in a very difficult situation because if he says yes, then he's too harsh towards her, a sinner. If he says no, then he's breaking the law. And they they were so hoping that Jesus would break the law. You see, they had their agendas. So uh, Jesus stood down and he wrote in with his finger in the ground. But we pick it up in John chapter 8, verse 7, which is so beautiful, that when Jesus answered these people, he says to them, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Listen now carefully he who is without sin among you let him throw the first stone wow that was very clever immediately jesus speaks right into their hearts he rips open that that veil of protection of of hypocrisy and he he puts them bare for all to see as as they've put this lady bare for all to see in a physical sense, he rips them open and he goes, Right, fair enough. You Moses said you've got a stone her, but if you stand here and you are without sin, pick up the first stone, and you the first one is gonna throw the stone at her. That is so telling. Uh, the word says then further on, they one by one left, left and walked out. Nobody threw a stone. Why? Because all have sinned. All have sinned. And we're going to unpack that scripture verse in a minute. Jesus turned to her and he said, Where's your accusers? They're not there. He tells her to go and sin no more. Why did I pick that particular passage? It is just to make the point that we're living in times that we want to hide sin. We're ashamed of sin. We don't like people to know our sin and this is why when we get into even church circles that you get messages being preached, which is not sin. There's no sin in the messages. People proclaim to be saved, but there was never a uh, repentance, a prayer of repentance an acknowledgement of sin in their lives. And this is very important because it goes back, right back into the Garden of Eden. But you will see next week, even before the Garden of Eden. So Jesus tells them, you've got the first stone, throw it. And I want to now go to Romans. Before we go into unpacking it more, And like I said, we we might be busy with sin for the next four weeks. That's how important this topic is. But uh, I want to go to Romans chapter 3 verse 21 and I want to pick up on on a piece of passage that Paul writes to this church in Rome and he addresses this particular thing, the sin thing. Now we read in Romans chapter 3 verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Let me just pause there for a minute. The righteousness of God That means to live a life acceptable to God. Now, he says the righteousness, that life that you have to live acceptable to God, apart from the law, is revealed. And you've got to go back and and think about these. There were Jews in that church, in the church in Rome. And if you think of their mindset, this is foreign to them. What is Paul talking here about? The righteousness of God is explained for them in the Torah, in the law. So in other words, if you, if you stand by the law and you walk by the law, then you, you put your best efforts forward to live a life righteous to God according to the law. But here Paul says the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. And now you can ask the question, what is it then, Paul? What is being revealed to us that is so important that is apart from the law, which is not the law? He says, then, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Wow, this plays up to a crescendo now. So this righteousness of God is apart from the law, but it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what is he saying in other words? He says that the whole Old Testament in your Bible, the first part in your Bible before you come to the New Testament, that whole part there is the law, And it's the prophets. And he says this part. Okay. He says they were witnesses to that which was revealed apart from the law, the righteousness of God. That all was a witness to what was being revealed to us. So now we're getting excited about it because he talks further on in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. Again, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the first century Jew, the Messianic Jew, they had all of the rituals. It's really hard to get out of traditions. We spoke about it on Sunday in our sermon. It's really tough to get out of traditions. Now he comes and he puts the law aside and he says, Wait a minute. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. It reminds me one day when the disciples was following Jesus and they asked him, they said, What work shall we do that we do the works? Of God, And he says, there is this work that you believe in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, whom we've sent. So this, this is going towards that point. And now we come to the verse that I want to talk about tonight in depth. And that's verse 23. I've been taught this verse when uh, the Lord saved me and I was in a Pentecostal church. And they believe that when you go out and you and you speak to souls, trying to you harvest souls or to preach to souls for for conversion, that you use the Roman road. And this is the first verse that that they teach you. So I've learned this verse off by heart. It's Romans chapter 3:23. He says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And we're going to unpack that in a minute. And verse twenty-four, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, just for interest's sake, if you quickly look through this, when you read through this passage from verse twenty-one to twenty-four, you find that in verse twenty-two he says, "Even the righteousness of God." through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, he uses the word Jesus and then Christ, the title, the deity of Christ. That, that reflects and refers to Jesus on the earth. He came and he demonstrated God's love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came and lived amongst us. He showed us how to live this life. He is the prime example we follow him on Sundays when we preach through the Gospel of Mark, which is also been written uh, for the audience in uh, Roman audience. But here we see that he says that Jesus Christ, and then when you just drop down to verse 24, he says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, the heavenly part of Christ. Now which Uh, gives us that redemption so let's look at verse 23 and we're going to spend just tonight on verse 23 because i think it's an important verse for us to start to understand sin and how we it's going to play out in the next few weeks verse 23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god when he uses the word for all what does that mean it means all It means every single person on the planet who was born from the beginning. In the beginning was the the world and the world was void. And God started creating every single person from the fall in the Garden of Eden right up until the baby who is now born in the next two seconds. All have sinned through all the ages. And I know, I know you're going to say, if I look at my sweet little sweetheart, my little angel lying there in in the crib, man, you can't tell me that baby has sinned. But yes, that baby is born in a sinful nature. You just give them another two years and you'll, you'll be singing a different tune. And I wonder who teach these babies those tunes when they throw tantrums. Anyway, I digress. So he says, for all have sinned. So we need to establish that all. That also means I have sinned, you have sinned. Everybody who hear my voice right now have sinned. Now, what is the consequence then if we have sinned? He says we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, before we go to the glory of God, I want to talk to you about the word sin there. Because it comes from the Greek word harmatia. The Greek word harmatia. It's, by the way, the same word that you will find in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He uses the word harmatia there as well. And the word harmatia means to miss the mark. Now, I like it when Paul writes, and I think Paul must have been a sport lover. I just personally think so, because he uses a lot of sport analogies or, or examples when he preached to the people and in this particular sense he was he was talking about an archer and who was aiming from a distance and you know how the board is with the outer ring and the inner ring and the rings get smaller and then you get the bull's eye now in archery the bull's eye is the most points I think it's 100 points or so. And it gains. then it goes out to 80 points, 70 points. And so if you hit it out there, you, you don't get a lot of points. The aim is to hit the bull, the bullseye. So he uses that picture here. He says the word harmatia is missing that bullseye. Now, you know, if you take the best archer right now, the Olympian, what is the chances of that person hitting that bull every single time in his whole career? Every time he picks up the bow and arrow, he, he draws it back, strength, you know uh, um, strength put on his arms, his concentration, he's waving, he's bobbing, he's weaving. What is the chances that that person in all of his life, his, his career, is going to hit the bull's eye? It's not good. He's going to miss absolutely he's going to miss. He will hit that bullseye a few times and the more he practice, he will hit it more often. But he's not going to hit it every single time. And this is what Paul wants to bring back to us. He says, For all have missed. For all have harmatia. All of us have missed the mark. We miss the bullseye. So you can ask the question, What is the bullseye then? The bullseye is the law. That's what the bullseye is, to live this life, righteous life of God, acceptable to God. He started off in verse 21 talking about it. So now we see he uses the word armatee and he says, we miss the mark. And then he uses a second sport illustration. He says, not only did we fall sh- uh, miss the mark, we have sinned, but we fall short. And that is like when somebody runs in a race and they either not win, they were so close to winning the race, or they never finished the race. And we know that Paul is very familiar in using one of these uh, illustrations in his preaching. And here it's the same thing. It says you fall short. First of all, you miss the, the mark and then you fall short. You fall short. Of the glory of God. Now, the words that he uses here for fall short is written in a tense that points towards a continuous action. So it is not as if you've missed the mark once and that was it. You know, when I was younger, I didn't know. I did a lot of things which I should have done. I was I was um, ignorant. I was naive and all of those things. But now, oh no, now I hit the bull's eye every single time. And I win every time. I finish every time. No, no. The tense that's used here, it's a continuing falling short. So that means that it doesn't matter how hard you try. You put every single ounce of effort into what you're going to try tomorrow, the day after, but still you fall short. Still you don't get to where you need to get. So it is important that when the Bible was written, back then it was applicable to them, but it's also applicable to us. We, for all have sinned, armatia, and fall short, constantly continuing, you continue trying to do that. So for all have sinned and fall short, And then that verse says, what are we falling short of? The glory of God. The glory of God. The word used there for glory is the word doxa. And that's where we get a a, a praising of God from doxology. We praise Jesus. And this is the word that he uses there. Now, have you ever wondered what it meant when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Have you asked yourself that question? What am I falling short of? What is Paul writing here? Why didn't he just put it plainly? Why do I have to understand what is the glory of God? Well, I think it is really important, critically important for you to under, understand what is the glory of God. And I want to unpack that for you now. So when he talks about the docs of God, we have to go back to the Old Testament. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture verses at you Uh, I love to do that because let the word of God speak. So let's go back in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we will go down to verse 24. Now in Deuteronomy, we know that Moses came down from the mountain. God's fire was on the mountain. The people were so afraid of it. Moses was the intercessor between God and the people. So he, he had God speaking on the one side and the people on the other side. And now it comes down to this particular verse. In Deuteronomy 5:24, Moses says, And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us His glory. So there we find our first uh, initial thought about glory. And by the way, there's so many scripture verses again that I could have gone to. But I've only chosen these ones. Okay, So he says, You said that God has shown us His glory. They saw the full glory of God. And that made them fearful. Believe me. Go and read it. They wanted Moses to talk to God. The thunderings, the fire on the mountain. He says, and His greatness. So you saw the glory of God and the greatness of God. And we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. Now listen carefully now. We have seen this day that God speaks with man yet he still lives. Yet he still lives. So what is this talking about? What is this whole picture there about? They they say, you saw the glory of God and you saw his greatness and this is the evidence And, and it takes me back again. Why did God chose that nation which is still important today? It is to show a fallen people, a sinful people, a deprived people, how to approach a holy God, and here we find God speaking to them through His glory and greatness. But what is it all about? It is about the presence of God. The glory of God is the presence of God. So God showed His glory. He showed His presence to Him, to them, and His greatness. So think about that. The presence of God is very important. I want to say to you that I don't want to go anywhere without the presence of God, with Him present in my life, because He is the one who's great. He is the one who's glorious. So the presence of God, like I say, is important. So let's now go a few books further on, and we find ourselves now in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, if you want to open up there, Pause the the tape, open up there, and press play again. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21. Now, what we find here, this is just after the death of Eli, the priest. And we know how corrupt Eli became. Uh, Eli Eli was known to be fat. He he was known to be eating the, the best offerings that the people brought. His sons were just awful. So we saw that Eli died. And then we read this. Now, remember, the first one was about the presence of God. Oh, the presence of God, my friend. It is so wonderful. Now we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 21, Eli is now is dead. Then she named the child Ichabot. This is the wife of one of the sons. The sons both died. Eli died. This lady gets, she was pregnant. She gets a baby and she called this baby's name Ichabot. What does it mean? Ichabod. I always wondered how that poor little boy needed to live through life with his name Ichabod. Hey, Ichabod, come play with us. But the meaning behind the name is so heavy. It says it right there. He says, and the child's name saying, uh, she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel. So again, that poor boy, when he grew up with the nation, every time they call him, it's a reminder that Ichabod, the glory, has departed from Israel. Back in Deuteronomy, we saw them. We saw that it is the presence of God, the glory of God. Here we find now, because of their sinful nature and their conduct, that the glory departed, that a poor boy's name has been named Ichabod. Why did it depart? Now, this is key because the ark of God had been captured. And because of the father in law and her husband, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The ark represented the presence of God. So here we find it. So remember the glory of God, the presence of God, it is so powerful. It is the essence of every child of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. You want to be in the glory of God, friend, and this is so, so, so telling that these people has lost the ark, which then um, talked about the disappearance of the glory of God. But then we also see that the glory of God is the salvation of God. Remember, the glory of God is the presence of God, but it's also the salvation of God. And we've, we go now to Psalm 62, <clears throat> and we read from verse 6. And again, you can pause and, and wait until you open and, and read, or just read the words on the screen. Psalm 62, verse 6, he says, He only is my rock. The psalmist here talks about God. Now notice how he says this. He says, He only is my rock and my salvation. So God is my rock and my salvation. He is my foundation and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I like it. We sing a beautiful song like that. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters. It's so beautiful. But here he says, He's my defense. I shall not be moved. And in verse 7, In God is my salvation and my glory. In God is my salvation and my glory. Let me remind you the scripture verse that Paul write to Romans. He says, For all have armateed, missed the mark, and have fallen short of what? The glory of God. Psalmist, In God is my salvation and my glory. Glory comes through the salvation of God. Glory comes through the salvation of God. This is so powerful and it's so wonderful. You do not want to fall short of the glory of God. But this is now the building blocks as we go towards our scripture verse. Then the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him all the times. You people, pour out your heart before Him. He is a refuge for us. Selah. That means think about this, meditate on this. I might just say that in these times that we are living, these uncertain times, these times where people don't know what the future is going to bring and they talk about the new normals and don't know this and don't know that, i love to hold on to this rock, this verse, and to meditate on it. In fact, let me just challenge you. Why don't you do this tomorrow morning? Okay? Why don't you go tomorrow morning, wake up, take an hour earlier, take this particular verse, sit somewhere where you're alone with God, and read this back to God in a prayer, and see what I do for you. But when you read it back to God, say thank you to him that he's all of that. He is your rock. Thank you, God. He is my salvation. Thank you, Lord. The guilt of the past, the accusations has been taken care of. But there's another scripture verse in Psalms, uh, in Psalm 79, verse 9. He says, help us, O God. Oh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful prayer. This is one of one of the first prayers you can pray is, help me, God. And he says it here, help us, O God of our salvation God of our salvation for the glory of your name help us God of salvation for the glory of your name and deliver us and provide atonement for our sin for your name's sake it's such a powerful scripture verse again so we see here that God is salvation and glory comes through salvation, and the glory of God is salvation, it just flows in each other. But we also see that this delivers. Now, take this account, for instance, uh, when the glory of God appeared to Abraham. We pick this up in Acts chapter 7, verse 2. He says, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. This is now Stephen when he preached to the to the crowd in the book of Acts. The God of glory. I love it when he starts that way. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now pause there for a minute. Let me explain. I love this passage. Even if you go back into Genesis and read it from there. He says, He appeared... The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. What is Mesopotamia representing in the day of Abraham? They were living in mud houses. and They were worshipping false idol gods. This is what Abraham grew up in. <clears throat> His father, Terah, was in that same place. The glory of God appeared to Abraham And he he appeared to him before he lived at Haran. The meaning for the word Haran is halfway house. Now get this. God calls Abraham out of Mesopotamia, out of the pit of clay, the miry clay. And he delivered him in this calling. He says, come out of that. And I'm going to take you to a promised land, to a place where you need to be. We read the account that they moved to Haran. It was in fact not Abraham who started this journey. It was his father, Terah. He started this journey. And they lived in Haran. And it looked for a long time as if this whole calling would just die there. Because they lived there. But Haran was only a halfway place. Halfway house. And then God moved him on without his family. Because this is what he sees there. In Acts 7 verse two, he says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham where he was in Mesopotamia before he dealt in, dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country. Get out of this muddy place. And from your relatives, your family. And come to a land that I will show you. So we see the glory of God appear to Abraham and he delivered him out of the miry clay into the land that he wanted him to be. There is a beautiful, beautiful passage here. A massive lesson for you and for me. The glory of God deliver you out of the clay. And, and then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Iran, you see, in verse 4. And from there, when his father was dead, because God didn't call his father... God called him. He said, come on, Abraham, I want to take you to a land. Terah, his father, picked up everything and started, he initiated the move. They got stuck in Iran and they wait. And then when his father died, God moved him on from there. When his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. For them, the land of milk and honey, according to the Old Testament. So we see a thing about the glory of God. It's the presence of God. And we need to hold on to the presence of God. Ichabod, it it disappeared. It was important. It is salvation. The glory of God is salvation. And salvation is glory. And now we see that that salvation, that glory delivers us from our position we were in. Let me explain it to you this way. If we can give... Mesopotamia, another name than Matt, and so on. It is sin, and he brings us into the promised land without sin. This is the two opposites that he shows us here in this passage. And then if we read further on, Stephen was obviously preaching this to the people. They didn't like that. They got infuriated. And then uh, we, we asked the question, where's the glory? Where's the glory now? It's a good question. Well, we know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Which is we're gonna address that in a few weeks. But now Stephen speaks to these people in Acts chapter seven, verse fifty five. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Listen what he says. This is important. Listen what Stephen says when he gazed up into heaven. Standing in front of death, he's gonna he's gonna die any moment. They gnash on their teeth. They want to kill this man. So, being full of thought, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Where? He saw the glory of God in heaven. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the right hand of God. Pause. Pause. Just pause. Listen because there's so much here that we can go on and on about. First of all, he saw the glory of God. That's what we're talking about right now. But then he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Standing. Action. Ready for action. If you sit, you relax, you're not ready for action. He was standing. But importantly, where was he standing? At the right hand of God. What does it mean? It is the authority hand of God. It is the power hand of God. We, we get it in our, in, in, in our lexicon. It's the authority. The authority. He, he was standing in the authority of God. It. And look, see, heaven is open. And the Son of Man. The Son of Man standing there. Why didn't He say the Son of God? He looks up into heaven. Why? Because He knew Him as the Son of Man. What is the Son of Man? It is the title that Jesus chose for Him more than any other title when He speaks about Him. He says that the Son of Man is the one who came to the earth and who could reach out and be an intercessor between the earth and God. Son of God is the one who is the intercessor from God to man. Son of God who came down to the earth. Emmanuel, God with us lived with us, amongst us. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, or in fact last week, when he lived amongst us. Now Stephen calls him the son of man, our intercessor. Job called out, remember in the book of Job, Job says, who is there upon the face of the earth who can intercede for me to God? There's no one. Well, somebody did come. His name is Jesus. The glory of God. So, um, So let's continue. So this glory of God gives us access to grace. The glory of God gives us access to grace. What is grace? Receiving something we did not deserve. Immediately your mind goes back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, so that no one can boast. By grace you have. The only reason you and I sit here and we say that we are saved is by the grace of God. And we find this. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore having been justified by faith. Justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with Him. Through whom also we have access by faith into His grace. Through Jesus we have access by faith into the grace of God in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There we find our glory again. Romans chapter 3, 23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. My friend, if you are not saved, if you haven't experienced and tasted the glory of God, I urge you right now what are you missing you are missing the rock salvation. and salvation and and it is so sad sad that some people don't get this they don't because they don't want to some of them just can't see it uh, paul explains this to in, in to, to the church in corinth second corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 he says but even if our gospel is veiled in other words, it, there's a veil so that you can't see it. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Unfortunately, there are people who are perishing. And they will look at somebody like you and me and say, Oh man, you're a crackpot man. What's going on there? Perishing, what do you mean? Look how well I'm doing here. I'm, I'm well set up here on the earth. I've worked hard. I've got, yes, that's right. You have worked out and all of that. But you are perishing because the gospel, the glory of God is being veiled to you. But let me continue in verse 4. He says, Whose minds the gods of this age has blinded. How is that happening? Hollywood. Hollywood has, has blinded the minds of so many people. And the gods of this world is sitting behind Hollywood. They've been lying to you and your children for how many years? It is a lot of people's Bible, Hollywood. And there will come shocks out as we see things being shown to us. But whose minds, the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest lest they, they do not believe, lest what happens, lest the light of the gospel. Now listen now. Remember we are, we are following this, this path of the glory of God. He says they will not believe unless there is hope. Thank God there is hope. I know family members that needs this light that I've been praying for. I I know friends that that their minds is being blinded and they don't believe. But he says, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the gospel of the glory of Christ. There you find the connection who is the image of God, should shine on them. That also tells me that only one can save your friends and your family, and that's Jesus. So why don't you just put them over in his hands and rest in the fact that he knows what he's doing. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4.14, he says, Knowing that ye who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ will also raise us up with Jesus. Thank God. And will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, there's that word, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can you see how deep one scripture verse goes if you just unpack it back into the Old Testament? Fabulous. Love it. Love it. We also see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Pause. Open up your Bible. He says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Praise God. Let it be known that every knee shall bow. Doesn't matter who you are, sir, madam. Your knee will bow. The Bible declares it. He says that every knee shall bow um, uh, above every name that is named, that every heaven those who are under the earth um, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For what? To the glory of God the Father. So we find a few clues now when we go back to our verse in Romans 3. For all have sinned, Armatia fall short of the glory of God. What are they falling short of? I hope by now you're starting to see the threat, that's fine threat that comes through the Old Testament. But a, a way clearer verse that, that really brings it together is in one in John chapter one. Remember John chapter one talks about Jesus, not his um his family line, like the other gospels, but John talks about his spiritual uh, uh, his spiritual uh, line that he's coming through. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus Christ. In Him was life, light, and that life was the life for men. And here in verse 14, he says, John 1:14, and the Word became flesh. In other words, Jesus came and lived with us and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld what? The word there says, we beheld His glory. The glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. There's our word grace again and truth. It doesn't matter where you go. If you turn around this corner, glory and grace. You go around that way, glory and grace. You look behind you, glory and grace. You look up, glory and grace. How privileged are we? You look down, glory and grace. I've taken you tonight right through from the Old Testament. I've told you a few wonderful passages in the, in the Old Testament and every time it comes back to the glory of God and the grace of God. And here it's encapsulated in that one verse. So again, let me just finish then tonight by saying this then. For all I've sinned. We are going to talk in the next few weeks about sin. You need to know and understand what sin is. I do not believe... In a two-minute prayer and you stand up and you go on with your life and now you call yourself saved. I do not believe in that. I absolutely believe you need to understand the sin that you conducted towards a holy God. If you have that concept and understand that, then you will come to the point that you say, Woe am I! I'm living along amongst a nation with unclean lips, like Isaiah did. You need to understand sin. Because if he says for all have sinned, then we need to understand what does this mean? That is one of the questions in life you need to answer. What is the sin? And then what is the sin that I've conducted in? Yes, there is a sin that was passed over from generation to generation from our forefather Adam. Then there's sin that you've conducted in yourself by the choices that you have made. And because of that, you fall short. Of what? Of this glory of God. And if you still don't understand it, rewind, listen this over. Write out the scripture verses, look at it again. For my dear friend, there is consequences for sin. There is. Every action has got a reaction. If you do something bad, there is consequences. Now, I know some people say there's a lot of people getting away from with it. Never. Never with God. He's the just judge. And although they might get away here on the earth, they will never get away from God. Because he's a righteous God. So there is consequences for sin. This is why this is one of the most important studies that you will conduct in, in the next three to four weeks. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages, the, when he uses the word wages, there he talks about a soldier's wage in their day. So he says, I work for something. If I give my time for the company I work, they pay me for my time. That's my wage. If I'm going to continue in the sin I'm doing, something is going to come, a payback time. You've got to get paid for what you've done. And man, if I can start playing your testimonies about people who talk about this. It's terrifying. For the wages of sin is death. Now, there's two deaths he's talking about here. One is a spiritual death. Second one is a physical death. So the big thing is, and it's not my words, I've heard it, and I think it's true. Why don't you get born twice to die once so you get born by your natural birth and then a spiritual birth from above john chapter 1 verse 12 go and read it i've run out of time but you know if you get born twice you are born again you will only die once and that's in this physical body because the soul will be saved but if you are born once and you are not interested in that second birth If you're not interested in the glory of God and you keep on falling short and you keep on missing the mark, let it be known today, according to the Word of God, not this pure man here, that you will die twice. You will die the first death, which is your spiritually dead. Go and read Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For you all are your dead in your trespasses and sins. Hey, wait a minute. I'm alive. Look at me. Why were you... No, yeah, 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 yeah. You're alive. I can see you walk. Your heart's beating. I can see you sweating and all of that. But inside you're dead through your trespasses and sins. So that's it, my dear brothers and sisters. I hope that uh, opened up that verse for you. We're going to continue from here on. We're going to look at the origin of sin, where did sin come from. And surprise, surprise, it's not the Garden of Eden. The nature of sin. What is the nature? So that you can know what it is the territory of sin another word would be the realm of sin where does it operate in and the result of sin what is the consequence thereof um, i'm just thinking about a scripture verse in james which i might bring in might push it into a fifth week which will show you the the process of sin you know how it happens there's beautiful passages in the bible which can explain that to us so may the Lord bless you and let me leave you with these words. If this is the only thing you do in life, pursue the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you for your word, Lord, which is a living and powerful, Lord, and it's the discerner of the heart. I pray that you go with my listeners, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit will convict when it needs to convict, heal when it needs to heal, Father, according to your will in Jesus' name. Amen.